0: Well, let's get right to it. We are in Genesis. We're going through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and today we are in Genesis 23. And I would dare say, I know that I've never preached this. I know that I've never heard a sermon on this, and so this week has been really interesting. And I hope by the end of this that you would see why. Genesis 23, this is a message that no one really wants, but everyone really needs, And I've entitled this message, Dealing with the Death of Someone You Love. Dealing with the death of someone you love. If you live long enough, if you are blessed by God to have decades of your life, the moment will come when you will have to deal with the death of someone you love someone who's close to you, someone you need, someone you depend on, someone that you love with all of your heart. They're gonna die. And they're gonna leave a hole. They're gonna leave a void in your life that will never be refilled. That doesn't mean you can't heal doesn't mean that you can't go on. You can and you should. But because every person is unique and distinct, every person in your life leaves an imprint or an impression on your life that is unique and distinct. And when one of those people, particularly those that you love, are suddenly withdrawn, when they're pulled out of your life, they leave a hole. They leave a void that cannot be filled by anything or anyone else because they were unique. They were distinct. And it is in those moments that you feel and you encounter and you experience deep loss and deep hurt and so the question this morning is how do we handle that how do you handle the death of someone you love who's left a hole and a void that is never going to go away Well, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but I do think that Genesis 23 has a word for us. You see, at the very beginning, as we're gonna see here in a moment, it it has Sarah, Abraham's wife, she dies. But when we read this, and as I've thought about this all week long, day and night, you really, as you read this, you realize this isn't about Sarah. Even though it is kind of centered around Sarah's death, excuse me, it's around Sarah's death. It's really not about Sarah. Matter of fact, the only thing that Sarah does in this is she dies and she's buried. That's it. It doesn't say anything about her faith. It doesn't say anything about her life. It doesn't say anything about what she said or what she did. Nothing. It is she died and she's buried. Genesis 23 really is about Abraham and his response to the death of his wife. They've been married some 70 plus years. We know at least 70 years. It could be upwards of 90 years. I don't know about you, I can't handle that. (laughs) I should say she can't handle that either. How many of you have been, anybody in here? Seventy years. No, I was gonna say, God bless you, right? God, this is the Baptist holy water right here. Just anoint you from the stage. They have been through thick and thin for seventy plus years, and now she's gone. Now I'm not saying that this. Genesis 23 is a manual or some kind of blueprint of how exactly we are to handle the death of someone that we love. But I do think that in here, we, we find some real wisdom. We find some nuggets of truth that, that I think can help us adjust and, and really prepare ourselves for moments that if you're not already there, and I know that some of you are. This is an opportunity to at least align your heart and mind to when it's coming. Now, as you can imagine, 30 years as a pastor, I've been around death a lot. I've done hundreds of funerals. I've done funerals of babies. I've done funerals of teenagers. I've done funerals for beloved church members. I've done funerals for those who have committed suicide. I've done funerals for those who have accidentally overdosed. I've done funerals for beloved moms and dads and husbands and wives and daughters and sons and brothers and sisters, hundreds. I've counseled thousands of family members and friends who are grieving the loss of someone that they love. And oftentimes it is, what do we do now? I've seen a lot of death. Matter of fact, twice, I have been praying with someone in the hospital they're laying in the hospital bed and while I'm praying they die you talk about a surreal moment one moment they're alive and the next moment they're dead I'll never forget, in one of those two occasions, the son of the man that I was praying for, he was lying in the bed, and the son was on the other side. And so when I finished praying for his dad, he looked up and he said, my dad just died during your prayer. And then he said, does that happen very often? (laughs) And then he said something I'll never forget. He said, if so, I've got some people I want you to pray for. (laughs) It was the wittiest, funniest thing ever said to me under those circumstances. But I couldn't laugh because there were 30 people in the room. I'll never forget it. He wanted me to make a list, you know, pray for these lists of people, please. But death isn't just something I'm around professionally. Death is something that has happened to me personally. In the last three years, I've had three crushing or two crushing deaths in the last three years. Most of you know my brother died a couple years ago, COVID, and it's it's tough. It's still tough. Three years ago, one of my best friends of nearly forty years was killed in a tragic car accident. And if I was being as honest and transparent with you as i possibly can i would say that in my grief and despair my soul has gone to the gates of hell and back agonizing agonizing over the loss of those two people so the question is how do you handle how do you handle the death Someone that you love. I'm gonna read Genesis 23 for us just to give the full breadth and the context. Let me just warn you, when I get to the end of this, the vast majority of you are gonna say, what was that? How in the world is this relevant and how does this attach it to what you say you're gonna talk about? And and I know that because that was my first response. What is this, what am I going to say? But after, uh, by by Friday of this week, I had 18 pages of notes. Now, I know some of you are like, oh great. (laughs) I only brought five. At the beginning of the week, I thought, what am I going to say? Now I have really a different thought is what, what am I not going to be able to say? And it's been my prayer that I will say what God wants me to say, the words that he puts on my, because I'm feeding the flock. And I hope that you will be patient with me and attentive for your sake to hear what God might say in a tender moment this is not one of those sermons that you get excited for, but I tell you, there'll come a time when you'll be desperate for it. You'll be desperate for it. And I'm hopeful that maybe God will speak in a unique way to, to your own heart and mind. So let's, let's check this out, Genesis 23. This is God's word, it is alive. It, God is the author, Moses is the writer. And God is writing this for a unique audience of that day, but knowing that the audience would also be us today. Verse one, Sarah lived 127 years. That's why she could be married up to 90 of those years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I'm a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my Lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land, and he said to them, "If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat me for Ephron the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah which he owns. It is at the end of his field for the full price." let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites of all who went at the gate of a city. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead." Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered, Abraham, my Lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which was east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went into the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in a cave in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for burying place by the Hittites. Now can we just agree there's some weirdness in here and you're like, okay. We're going to study a business transaction that happened uh, you know, a few thousand years ago. That's the first glance. But I think when we get a little bit deeper, when we go below the surface of this, yes, that was a business. Do you realize when it says, oh, we'll give it to you, they were not saying we're going to give it to you. This is a negotiation here. They were saying, I want to buy this. And they're like, oh, no, 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 just bury wherever you want to. It'll be fine. It'd be kind of like if I came to you and you had property and, and I said, hey, I'd like to buy a piece of your property and build a shed on that and, and I, can, I can park cars there and store stuff. And you say, no, 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 just park in my driveway. Just put some stuff in my garage. How long would it take before you'd say, listen, you can't, you can't park your car here all the time. And you can't put all your junk here. Eventually, and it, it get to your kids, what will your kids say? Listen, you can't have this at all. I don't know whatever. See, that's what's going on here. They don't want him to have land. They're not saying, we're gonna give it to you. We'll just make an exception for you. And Abraham says, that won't do. I'm gonna buy it. So we're gonna get to what what that means and, and how that is relevant to this whole thing of how do you deal with the death of someone you love? Got three truths here. I hope you'll be patient with me as we work through these. The first that we see, God's people deal with death realistically. In other words, we accept the reality of it. No denial, no sticking our head in the sand, no hoping that it won't touch us or anyone we love. We we face it head on. We, We are realistic about it. In verses one and two, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of Sarah's life and Sarah died. It, it, one thing about the Bible is it, it is very straightforward, especially when it comes to death. If you read the Bible, and, and many of you are going from beginning to end because it's the new year, you'll see this. And he died, and he died, and she died, and he died, and she died. The Bible is very straightforward. Now, there are three subjects every pastor knows that nobody in his church wants to hear about. And when, when we bring up these three subjects, everybody starts like, It is death, money, and hell. Those are three topics that the vast majority of people in every church, they don't want to hear about it. What's crazy is the Bible has a lot to say about all three of those subjects, in particular, death. From the very beginning, when sin came in and death entered Because of sin, in Genesis chapter three, it is a consistent theme of scripture. Death, 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 death. God repeats it, God shows it, God demonstrates it. Why? Why is it that the Bible is so straightforward when it comes to death? Because God doesn't want us to be surprised. And yet, what happens nearly every time? (gasps) What? Now, it's okay to be shocked when a person dies. We, we, we can be shocked by that. We can be shocked by how someone dies. But listen, we should never be shocked that someone dies. Because we, we're realistic about it. That is a part of life. It is standard. It's not optional in life. It is standard. It comes with the life package. Death. Death. In fact, Hebrews 9 says, It is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. You've heard me say before no one is born accidentally and no one dies accidentally. You are born and you die by appointment. Now, sometimes that appointment arrives quicker than you anticipated, but it's not an accident. You were born by God's design, and even your day of death is by the design. It is the appointment God has set. Ecclesiastes 3, two says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. Now the Bible doesn't talk about death in a morbid way, but the Bible does talk about death in a candid way. Very open. And yet what is our tendency, especially with our children? We, we, we shield them from, we, we, we want them, hey, let's not talk about that. That's, that, 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 that's really what we would call, that's, that's not dinner conversation. That's not what we talk about on the table. And yet God does the, the opposite with us. He is very straightforward. He is constant because he doesn't want us to be surprised. He wants us to know this is a part of human existence. Unless Christ returns, every single one of us and every single person sitting right around you and every single person in your family, they're gonna get their turn. And it is something that we have to wrap our minds around. It is something that we have to have right in front of us not to be fatalistic. Sometimes people say, well, if we really think about death, the Bible says those who think little about death are fools. The wise man thinks much about death. The reason that God brings it up over and over, it is an opportunity for us to be prepared, to be ready, not only for our own, but ready in the sense that when those that we love are no longer here, that we have a sense of reality to it. We have a sense of readiness and a, a preparedness of our own heart and mind. How many of you are like, Woody Allen? Woody Allen said, I don't fear death. I just don't wanna be there when it happens. You ever feel like that? Yeah. And that's how a lot of people are. They, they don't wanna talk about it. They not wanna think about it. Is it gonna happen? What's gonna happen? The Bible doesn't tell us all of this about death so that we will have a fatalistic idea it's a realistic fatalism is well what's the purpose of life i mean we're just going to die and so let's just let's just do whatever we want to no no listen death doesn't make life less meaningful death makes life more meaningful it elevates it it really elevates the value of it and because we know we're going to die, it gives us opportunity to do everything we have in this life while we have it. Now, as we're, did you know this? this? This was kind of a new thought as I was thinking about this this week. Do you know that humans are the only organisms in the whole universe that know they're going to die? Animals don't know they're going to die. Plants don't know that they're going to die. But we as human beings, we know that we're gonna die. God shows that to us, God reveals that to us. Again, not for the purpose of just throwing up our hands, not for the purpose of worrying about it every single, but for the purpose of being realistic that one day it's coming and I need to be prepared, I need to be ready. So we deal with death realistically. Now in this thought, here's. If you're taking notes, you might write this down. While death is an element of life, it is also the enemy of life. While death is an element of life, it is the enemy of life. Death is the enemy of life. Just because we're talking about it, just because we're realistic, doesn't mean we have to be enthusiastic about death. So when I'm saying, hey, be realistic about it, it's like, oh man, I can't wait. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. I hope it's today. So it's the enemy. The enemy of life is death. And so many times people say, well, what's the first? Why in the world did God even have this? Listen, death is God's answer to sin. Death is God's answer to sin. Sin is this arrogant, individualistic rebellion against God. Really, sin's motto is this, I did it my way. That's sin's motto. I did it my way. That's what sin is. It's arrogant, individualistic rebellion against God. And what God did with death is God says, I'm gonna put limits on this. I'm gonna put boundaries on your rebellion, on your arrogance, on your individual lifestyle, I'm gonna put boundaries on it. And, And it's gonna be with death, your birth and death and you can only sin so much. You know what, I've, n- I've never seen an arrogant corpse. I've never seen a rebellious cadaver. All of that is gone. Why? Because God has put boundaries. You realize that if, if you didn't, were never gonna experience death, you would find and create new ways to sin, and you would top it off with, with tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. And God says, listen, no, what we're gonna do is put a boundary on it. Death is God's answer to sin. But while it's an element of life, it is the enemy of life. The, the good news is this. While the Bible says the wages of sin is death, And the Bible also says, whatever sins will die. The good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus, through his resurrection, has destroyed death, ultimately. He has destroyed death, ultimately, and eventually all sin will be gone. So when sin is vanquished, when sin is gone completely, death will be gone completely. And that is what we look forward to. But until then, we see death realistically, just like the Bible says, and she died. God didn't protect Sarah from death. Neither does he protect Abraham from death. He didn't protect David from death. He didn't even protect his own son. It is a part of life. And so as Christians, we should be, have you noticed this? If you want to clear out a room you got too many people around you, the fastest way to clear out a room is just start talking about death. <laughs> people will like... <sighs> we ought to have, we ought to be able to have open conversations and be able to talk about it biblically, theologically, realistically with one another. And I hope that Even in a a room like this, size of crowd like this, I know that some of you are uncomfortable, but listen, what what I'm telling you is, this is what God God wants you to know. It is an opportunity for you to be able to think and prepare your own heart. Because when someone you love dies and you're not prepared, that's when the hurt and the chaos and the doubt and the bitterness uh, really are exemplified and harder to get over. First Corinthians 15 says, then the end will come when he has hands the kingdom over to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. He must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Death was first defeated by the resurrection of Christ. It will be ultimately defeated by the reign of Christ. And that's really good news. Secondly, God's people not only deal with death realistically, God's people deal with death emotionally. We have to deal with death. What many of us as Christians try to do, we try to deal with death theologically. We try to think our way through it and not feel our way through it. Now, we do, and we're gonna get to the theological part, but if you skip to the theology, it will be hollow. We have to deal with death. We have to grieve through the pain of it. You realize that your emotions are real, and they're God-given, and they, they have to be taken into consideration. We have to grieve through the pain of it. When someone you love dies, you will not get over it. Isn't that what love is? You will not get over it, but you can get through it. That's the goal. The goal is not to get over it. You're never going to get over it. But God says you can get through it. How do we get through it? We grieve through the pain of it. So grief is that outward expression of the inward pain that we've experienced. Grief is the outward expression of the inward pain and loss that we have experienced. If we don't have the outward expression, what happens is the inward pain and loss gets deeper and darker and more difficult. We live in a world. Have you noticed? We live in a world, especially in America, grief is scary. Not only do we not want to do it, we don't want to watch other people do it. And when you see someone grieving, you just jump right in and say, you know what, let me me help you out. No, you're like, I don't know what to say. People don't even want to go to funerals anymore. Of people they know. Why? I just rather... Remember them the way they were. You know what they're saying? I don't wanna grieve. I don't wanna be around people who grieve. I wanna skip that part. I'm telling you, it's it's dangerous and it's disastrous when we don't do this. And i I'll just be honest, be frank, we don't do this very well. You know, the reason that so many of us get stuck when someone we love dies is because we don't pay attention to this part. We don't wanna grieve through the pain of it because it's work and it's hard and it's difficult. Look, look at Abraham. Abraham went in to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Mourn and what, what's his very first? Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't try to be strong for Isaac. He doesn't put on a brave face. He doesn't use trite religious sayings Well, she lived a good life, a good long life. We know where she is. One day we'll see her again. Now, are all those things true? Sure. But listen, if you don't go through the emotion of it first, those things are hollow. If you skip to the theological part, before you deal with the emotional part, theology becomes very hollow. And that's how we get to those trite sayings. And we think somehow, by telling people that, it's gonna help them. Listen, not only will it not help others, it won't help you. He doesn't do that, what does he do? He mourns and he cries. That word mourn there means to wail and to cry out loud. He is unwilling to hold it in. He is unwilling to push it down. He is wailing, and he is crying, and he is shedding his teeth. Of course, this is a woman he's going to miss. Now, w- would most of us say 127 years? She had a good run. Wouldn't that be, isn't that in, the, in, in American, life, we were, especially in church, we're like, ah, you know, no big deal. 127 years, and she's not to someone who's gonna miss her, not to someone who has a void and a hole in his life that's never gonna be filled again. He mourns and he wails and he cries. And he's not afraid or embarrassed to let those emotions show. How many of us are either ashamed or embarrassed, right? to let our emotions show, to cry, to shed tears. It's just a minute. Grief scares us. I have found that grief scares some people more than death. They'd just rather die than be emotional in front of people than to cry and to wail and, and to deal with pain and to express what's going on. I mean, that's, that's terrifying. But I'm telling you, God says, this is how you deal with the death of someone you love. You mourn and you grieve and you don't do it just privately. You don't just do it all alone. You do it with people you love, the, the people around you. Now, that's, that's hard to do when good people say dumb things. If you've, if you've stood in a line at a funeral... Well-intentioned people say a lot of dumb things, right? Can I get a witness? Don't be sad. Don't tell somebody how to feel. It's not like they can shut it off. Oh, 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 yeah, you're right. I'm just not going to feel that way anymore. But people say that. Don't be sad. They're in heaven. Celebrate. Be be glad. It's one thing to be glad for them, but where is it that we're sad for us? Listen, sadness is not weakness. Sadness is not weakness. How do we know that? Because we're created in the image of God with the emotions of God. God feels sadness. The Bible talks about his sadness, talks about his sorrow, talks about his tears over the brokenness and the hurt and the pain of his people. We are created in the image of God with the emotions of God. And if God allows himself to go through that, are we better than that? Some people will say, oh, I'm surprised you're still so sad. I mean, it's been a long time. Isn't it time to move on? I don't know about you, but that's, that's when I want to slap somebody. I mean, all in Jesus' name, you know, all for the Lord, just to wake them up. You need to be strong for your kids. You need to be strong for your spouse. You need to be strong for your parents. You, need to be, you know what real strength is, is being yourself and allowing yourself to feel and show who you really are in that moment. That's real strength. It's not strong to pretend, it is strength to be authentic. It is strength to be yourself in the moment and not someone you think someone else wants you to be. That's not strength. And so we have to be people who we will be dedicated to saying, we know this is hard, this is anti-American culture, but who who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow American ways or am I going to say, God, this is the way you've designed things and I'm going to do it your way. How do I deal with the death of someone that I love? I deal with the pain of it emotionally. I grieve through the pain of it. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 4 says there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Psalm 6 says, I am weary. This is David. This is King David. He is the greatest man, the strongest man, the most powerful man in the world at this time. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. This is God's way. Your emotions are God-given. You believe that? And it is your God-given responsibility, not only to use them, but to protect them and to see them for what they are. You're not a robot. Sadness is not weakness. Grief is not a gimmick for the ungodly. It is a gift of God so that we can transition through the loss and the pain that we experience in life. Grief is a God-given gift to transition through the loss and the pain of life. That's what grief is. It's a gift of God and some of us, we overlook it, we put it to the side and try to be strong, try to be above it, be more spiritual than. I know I don't get to talk about, well, here, here, here's something that really, I, this is kind of a soapbox. But while I have the mic, there's this saying that is used a lot, and some people think that they are quoting scripture. But actually, they're just quoting Kelly Clarkson. You, you know the phrase. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And it sounds so wise. It isn't. Did you know that that phrase didn't come from Kelly Clarkson? And it certainly didn't come from the Bible. Some of you are shocked. The one verse I know of the Bible (laughs) and it's not in the Bible. It doesn't say what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Do you know who came up with that? An atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche, German philosopher. You realize you're quoting an atheistic German philosopher who hated God. And he said, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Listen, have you ever met a person who went through, they survived a hard time, but they were not stronger after it? Yeah, lots of times. You are only stronger if you do it God's way. If you grieve God's way. If you put yourself before the Lord and say, God, I will do this. I'm realistic about death, but I also know and recognize that when this loss and pain is so great, the only way that you have given me to transition through the pain and the loss is to grieve through the pain. Not to go around it, not to tunnel under it. Not to think my way out of it, it is to grieve through the pain of it. Some of you have lost dear loved ones and you've never really grieved and you wonder why you're stuck. You, you get stuck. If you don't do this, you get stuck where you refuse to go. And, and, and it's not too late, but I tell you, the longer you wait, the harder it gets. The longer you wait, the harder it gets. I don't get to talk about grief very often, so let me just give you five quick things And it looks like I'm already out of time. Number one, grief needs to be expressed. Grief needs to be expressed. Not repressed, not suppressed, or you become depressed. It has to be expressed. And oftentimes it's accompanied with tears. So I'm just not a crier. I'm just not a crier. Just not the way I'm built. I'm, I'm not saying that if you don't cry, you're messed up, but you are. <laughs> Listen, if you're not a crier, God wouldn't have given you tear ducts. He'd just let, oh, forget that. Oh, we don't want them to. Something's broken. Something's broken. If you can go through the hardest times of your life and you never cry, something's broken because that's the reason that God gave you the ability to cry is in moments like these. Jesus, you're not better than Jesus. You're not stronger than Jesus. You're not more spiritual than Jesus. Guess what he did when he faced brokenness and hurt and pain? As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Some of you, the only other verse you know besides the one that's not in the Bible is John 11:35. Jesus wept wept. It's not just little tears. He wept. He mourned. He wailed. He cried out loud. His heart was broken. Number two, grief may be delayed, but it cannot be stopped. It will come out eventually, positively or negatively. If you don't grieve it out, you will begin to act out. And that's what, that's what people do. We curb it, we ignore it, we numb it, work, the internet, alcohol, hobbies. What we try to do is we distract ourselves and we curb it, numb it, and ignore it. But what happens is when, it, when we don't grieve through it, we begin to act out in other ways that are not... Appropriate. Bitterness and hatred and hardness and rage and depression and addiction and body body pain. A lot of those things, they are simply grief coming out disguised. You realize that? Bitterness, hatred, hardness, rage, depression, addiction, body pain. Is often grief coming out disguised. Because we would not take God serious and we wouldn't grieve through the pain of it. Thirdly, grief must not be hurried. The mourning process of every person is as individual as a fingerprint. No two people mourn the same way or the same length of time. A person's faith does not determine how long they will grieve. Some people say, well, if you're really strong, you know, you, two weeks and you're, no. You're, it, it's not an evaluation of your walk with Jesus or your level of maturity, the length of that. No, it is, it is a process and it's different for everybody. Number four, grief is a choice. Pain and loss are not a choice, but it is a choice whether or not we will do it God's way, we will grieve through it. And then number five, grief is to be shared. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. You're not designed to do it alone. And a matter of fact, you can't. Not the most effective. It has, we have to invite people in and then when we are invited in, we have to accept the invitation to grieve and to mourn. You remember John 11, Jesus wept? You know why he wept? If you know John 11, Lazarus died. He was a friend of, and, and they called him. He did not weep because Lazarus died. He heard that news four days earlier and he didn't cry. Why? Because he knew what he was gonna do. But if you read a verse or two, prior to, he, it says he saw them in anguish. He saw the people crying and wailing and moan. He saw the bro. And then it says Jesus wept. He was mourning with those who mourn. He was crying with those who cried. Wouldn't it have been a whole lot easier to just say, listen, let's just put an end into all this nonsense and let's just raise him up. No, no, he entered into, it, it's a community effort. We do this together. No one can grieve fully all by themselves. And then, I you know that I'm, I'm out of time and I knew this was going to happen, and so that's the way it goes. The last point is this. God's people deal with death faithfully. I would put in quotation theologically. We have to trust God's promises beyond what we're experiencing. So we... we we real we, we 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 accept the reality of it. We grieve through the pain of it, but we trust God's promises beyond it. The things that He has said that we we don't know how it's going to work. We don't we don't understand. We can't see it. There are promises of God. They're not for this life. It is for the next life, and it's up to will we trust Him beyond this life? That whole transaction. I was driving home this week and I was all two days of, what am I gonna do and what's this mean? This is how I get all week. I get, because I know 2,000 people are gonna have, what's this mean? And then if I find simple, I don't know. I look like a bigger dork than I am. So I was all twisted up and it was like a lightning bolt. Bob, you're missing the point, which is usual. It's not about what he bought, it is where he bought. This is not about getting a cave. This is about having land in Canaan. You see, in that day, the most traditional thing to be would to go what? Back home. Take his stuff and to take it. And, and he would say, okay, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to take all my stuff. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to family because that's home. And what Abraham was saying, no, I'm, I'm going to be right here. I am burying the most precious thing in the world, in this world, to me, my wife, because that's not home. This is home. God made a promise. And we have nothing. I mean, after 62 years from the time he was 75 to 137, somewhere around, how much land did he have? Nada. He couldn't even bury his wife. But what was he saying? This is home. I am continuing to believe. I am continuing to trust beyond this life that God is a, a God of his word. And when you have someone who is right next to you, you have a choice. Will you go back? See, sometimes, I, I see it all the time, you'll go one or two ways. When someone you love dies, you'll revert to an old life or you will press into God's life. It will not leave you right where you are. And what did Abraham did, he, he gave 400 So I don't have time to go into it, but that's 10 times the cost of what it should. They were ripping him off, and he knew it. And he didn't try to negotiate. He was willing to pay the cost because he says, listen, I'm trusting God. This is home, and really Hebrews 11 says, he was looking beyond Canaan, to the heavenly. He was saying, God, I know I belong to you and this is where you want me to be and I'm trusting you because one day it's not gonna be about Canaan, it's gonna be about heaven. When someone dies, you have a choice to make. Who are you gonna trust? Are you gonna go back? Are you gonna doubt? You're gonna get bitter, you're gonna get hard are you going to wonder where God is? Or Are you going to press in and say, I know he has brought me to this point. He has promised that he'll never leave me or forsake me. He has promised that when the body is done, the soul is present with the Lord. And what I'm going to do is live out faithfully because one day I'm going to see him face to face and I'm gonna keep going. If you've experienced, maybe right now, I know this is a little bit, maybe clunky, but you know me, I'm not too worried about it. Maybe right now. Maybe you're, I've got some deep pain, wow, really hard. Maybe you identify with that right now. I'm just going to ask you if, you, if you're going through some, some loss and some pain and some grief, I'm just going to ask you to stand. Would you stand with me? You say, I'm I'm there. I'm there. pray for you. And I want you to notice those of you sitting down, praise God, I'm glad that you are. I rejoice with you. But we're also to mourn with those who mourn. I want you to notice the people right around you. Oftentimes they sit right next to you and you don't know. Would you pray for them? Encourage them to be a blessing to them. Would you mourn with them? Let another family, Father in heaven, we stand. we stand to say I'm hurt I'm in pain I've experienced loss I am grieving over the void and the whole of my life that will never be filled again but by faith with tears with heartache but with faith stand before you our heavenly father and we say we need you we can't do without you and we want to say thank you for the people that we have loved and been blessed to be a part of their life and they ours but they're gone there's a finality to that, Lord, that's difficult for us to grasp. And so we come to you, the eternal one. Lord, we would, we would pray and intercede for one another. That we would be like Abraham who would not quit trusting. Who would not quit believing. He would not go backward. He would not go to home because he was home and he was willing to pay any cost, no matter how high. Lord, may we be like that, not embarrassed, not ashamed of how we feel and how we hurt. come to you together recognizing you are our only hope you're not only the source of our salvation you are the source of our healing and Lord I know that your word says that we have been given your comfort not just so that we can be comfortable that but so that we might be comforters that by comforting us, you give us a surplus so that we can comfort others. Lord, may we be that kind of church, may we be those kind of people that we're not blind to the fact that this pain is real and life is full of hurt. And you call us to depend and trust in you and to help and love and encourage and pray for one another. Bless these people, Lord, as they grieve. Bless them with hope. Bless them with joy in the chaos, as we sang. Bless them with faith to keep going and pressing in and trusting and believing you and the promises you have made, just like Abraham. We pray it, Lord, in the good name and the saving name of Jesus and all God's people said